It's good to be here this evening, and I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have to share a portion of God's Word, a topic that I've been studying quite a bit, and I'm not going to say that they're the most memorable lessons, but if you've been hearing any of my most recent lessons, this is a topic that I seem to circle back to quite often. And that topic is building and maintaining deeper relationships. I think it's good that we take a closer look at this topic. I think we can gain a lot of things by just addressing it as we pass through it in other topics where maybe it's just a point of ours where we can just glean something out of passages. But I wanted to dedicate a a topic to it because I think there's a lot of nuances to it and I think there's a lot of things that we can put on the back burner or we just don't pay that much attention to. One thing that we do often talk about when we talk about our relationships within the church, we talk about the body of the church, that the body needs to be committed to its purpose, that we're all a part of it. No matter how small your role may seem, we all play a role that's important to the growth of the church. We often also talk about our reliance that we need to have, that we need to share each other's loads, that we need to support each other. And that's the part that I think we always tend to stumble on or just fall short of entirely. Because as humans, and especially as a collection of humans, we like to wall off portions of our lives or we just like to wall off portions of ourselves. And it's because of this mindset and approach that we have that it almost makes it impossible to develop the type of love that we should for one another. And I think one thing that we can do sometimes is we can fool ourselves. What we'll do is we'll say, we'll spend a lot of time with each other at church, We'll make time for each other after church. We'll talk about spiritual things, and then that's it. But there's more to it than that. And those are good things, of course. But in order for us to achieve the type of depth that we want in our relationships, and even with our relationship with God, we have to be willing to be vulnerable, and we have to be willing to open up. We should want to spend time together. We should want to discuss spiritual matters. And those have their place. But I think what we need to be shooting for is the image of the body that we have in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Let's look at a few of the things that it lists out here. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They had all things in common. That's what the passage states. It even says that they went as far as to sell all their possessions so that people who were in need could be provided for. It also says that they broke bread from house to house. They were eating together. They were in each other's homes. And then daily they were in one accord. There's a lot we could break down, and a lot of these could probably have a lot more time dedicated than what we're going to spend on them tonight. But to break it down simply and to focus on the topic that we have at hand is they wanted to be around each other. They wanted to build their relationships. They were working to serve each other so that no one had any needs. The phrase continuing in one accord basically means in one mind. They were unified. If we look around or if strangers come into this building, is this the image of the body that they see with us 
When they come and worship, do they see this perfect image of unity? Is that something that we even see? Can we honestly look at ourselves and see how we operate and we, our fellowship? Can we honestly say that we have the type of unity that they had, that we have all things in common? So how do we get from where we are now to this perfect image? I believe we need to back up and look at how we approach our relationships in general, how, our, how we love in general before we can change what's necessary and make those steps that we can to grow closer to each other. Let's talk about our love for all of mankind. In Galatians 5 and verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We all know this command. It's something that we talk about quite often as well. And we also know that if we look into who our neighbor is, it's everyone we come in contact with. We need to have that love for all of mankind to begin with. And you may think it's not such a big deal if we don't have this part in line, but if we have a responsibility to evangelize. That's something everyone has, has been tasked to do. And not having that love for mankind in general hurts those efforts, and it hurts the potential relationships that we could have with people. First John uh, chapter 4 and verse 20, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And I know this isn't referring to those outside of the church, but I want everybody to think. I think when we look around at most of our assemblies together, we can see familiar faces. They're faces that we've grown accustomed to. There are exceptions to that. We have some new families from time to time, and they stay, and they become familiar to us as well. But we're used to being around most of the people here. We're used to being in their presence. We're used to worshiping with them. And while that familiarity that we have with one another makes it easier to love, are we just as willing to share that love with a new member or someone that comes in? Do we treat them with skepticism maybe? Do we expect them to participate or be a member for so long before we give what we would refer to as our best effort? And if, we, if that's the case, if we really are skeptics, if we don't give our best from the get-go, the problem is we don't love as we should. If we don't have a willingness or a present love for someone who came into these doors for the first time, how can our love be expected to be where it's at for those that we see all the time, those that we fellowship with all the time? It's a foundational piece. And that may sound far-fetched to you, but I venture to say that if we have a problem loving in one aspect, our whole uh, perception or our practice of love is probably flawed. If the foundation isn't good to begin with, that makes no sense to build something on top of. Another question we need to consider is how do we feel about those that are obviously difficult to love? Matthew 5 and verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We should have a love even for those who we consider to be our enemies those that we don't get along with, those that maybe have a problem with our lifestyle as Christians. We need to pray for them even when we know we're being used and even when what we, they're doing to us would be considered abuse. And this isn't a new con concept. This is something we, we talk about quite often. It's in a lot of points and a lot of lessons. But let's look at another passage. Romans 12, verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. 
I think I've read this passage a lot, and not that I would necessarily answer it this way if someone asked me, but in my head, I think, obviously, we can't let our enemies starve. Or I would take a pretty simple view that was similar to that one. But I want to address something that, or a misconception I think I've had, and maybe you have too. We aren't to wait until they're begging for us to help them, to give them what they need. We don't need to wait until they're on their deathbed or they're too frail for us to to even be helped to offer it then. We look out for the needs of others, even if it's outside the body. I've always approached this too by telling myself, well, I would do it if they would ask me. But if you think about it as humans, if we're considered their enemy, that may be the last thing they ever do is look at us and say, hey, I need your help. It would probably be the last thing they would ever do. See, that's where the love for all of mankind is a little bit more involved than we like to treat it. Love your neighbor or everybody as you would love yourself. We aren't above anyone. Now, we may have this great blessing that we've taken advantage of, but that's a blessing that can be shared and it should be shared. So we need to take advantage of the opportunities that we get. Another thing is about our openness with others. Like I mentioned earlier, we are so restrictive about all the conditions people have to meet before we decide we're going to open up to them. Or those... Um, or those that we should open up to. And if you think, if you're not willing to open up to those that we're supposed to be close to, I would venture to say you're probably not opening, you're not being willing to open up to those outside the church. Second Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It says here that Paul boasted in his weaknesses, not the fact that he had weaknesses, but despite those faults and the weaknesses and his shortcomings, God's grace was sufficient and God's strength was made perfect in that weakness. We are his prized creation and we exemplify God's grace and his power every day in our lives because we are so flawed. And because of those flaws, or despite those flaws, we have a hope that he offered to us anyway. That should be shared, obviously, but why would we not be willing to share our weaknesses to better show how wonderful it is to be covered by the blood of Jesus? Despite all of our shortcomings and our faults, that he still made a way for us. How effective can our message be if we aren't willing to open up to everyone? And I think we get stuck on this little point of, I don't want to air out my dirty laundry. I don't think anybody needs to see the skeletons in my closet. All those fun little sayings, but they don't pertain to the life of a Christian. It all comes back to our unwillingness to be vulnerable. And I believe uh, a few weeks ago when Timothy Fleming was talking about evangelism, he referenced or one of his points is why we don't share the gospel with those that we interact with outside the church. And a lot of it had to do with the fear. We were scared of what would happen to that relationship that we maybe cherished or whatever the reason was. And I agree. There are, it has to go back to our unwillingness to be open. That's what it all circles back to. And it's, 
I agree with Timothy, but I also want to add on, I think it's that fear coupled with the fact that we know in order to reach this person the way we need to, we're going to have to open up and share our experience in some way. That's part of what's required of us. After all, isn't it a little bit vulnerable of us to say, there's no way I could be where I am in my life without the power and the, the significance of the blood of Jesus and what Christ has done for us. God demands vulnerability from us in all of our relations, relationships, and especially with him. And that's actually what my next point is. I want to talk about our relationship with God and how we deepen that. And I want to do it for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's always a good reminder. But two, I think it answers some of the questions that we have on how we make all of our relationships deeper. Because I think the way that we deepen our relationship with God is the same way that we're supposed to deepen our relationship with others. I want to take a pretty basic look at this. So from the very beginning, you want to have a relationship with God. What do you have to do? Well, first, you're going to have to seek him out. James 4 and verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We are to draw near to God, to seek him out, and then he will return the favor. God put a perfect plan in place where all we have to do is reach out and do what we are required to do on our end. And as we tend to do, we overcomplicate the things we've been asked. Or another thing we like to do is make little conditions so that maybe we don't have to do it as often as we should. Or the conditions are so restrictive we may never have to open up or uh, to do what we should. But that's not God's way. God's way is that while he will always be willing to receive us as his children, we need to be the one to make the move towards him in order to deepen that relationship. Psalms 34 and verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. God is always there, he's always listening, and he's waiting for us to want him, to want a relationship with him, and to seek him out. And he wants us to make that first step so we can find the comfort that David speaks of in this uh, psalm. Another thing that we need to do after we seek out the relationship, we need to get to know him. We need to know who he is, what he expects of us, what he's done for us, and what he offers. And the only way we get a glimpse into that is by studying his word. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Someone who is approved of by God is someone that knows his word, knows his law, and it's someone that does it. We are told to be diligent... Or another way of saying that is to make every effort to be able to present ourselves to God in that way. That we don't have to be ashamed and that we are well equipped. We can't achieve this by carelessly studying either. This isn't, we don't get this by just reading to check off the list. To say, oh, I did my Bible reading for today. When we have questions, we need to seek out those answers. Ask for help. Find the answers to the questions that we have in God's word. Otherwise, we will never learn what we need to know. God's word is there as a tool and we need to use it. It has to be done with effort. Acts 17 verse 11, this is talking about the Bereans. It says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We can't just take whoever's speaking's word for it. We need to seek out those things that we are taught and make sure it lines with God's word and not the speaker's perceived image of it. We read the scriptures partly for knowledge, but also for a better understanding of God and what he wants from us. 
The Bible shows us the plan of salvation, that if we come to know him and we are baptized for remission of sins, we can be saved. It gives us glimpses on how he interacted with his people in different periods of time. The promises that he gives us today, it shows those, and the hope that awaits us after this life. We can't understand any of these things unless we study and unless we take the time to get to know God and his will for us. But time is probably our biggest excuse, isn't it? Our schedules are full, our planner's full, work's got us running around all over the place. And instead of making time for these things that God expects from us, we wait for an opening, maybe a more convenient time that I could really commit to study or really commit to prayer. But these are things that we need to make priority for so we can reach that greater depth in our relationship with God. Another aspect we need to consider is that all relationships need communication. It needs nurturing. And the way we communicate with God is by praying. And if we aren't praying, we aren't communicating, and that relationship is not growing. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. And then in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So first, we're told to pray often, make opportunities for it. Two, we're told we have assurances that we are heard. We have assurance that God hears us out. We need to seek opportunities to pray, just like in our study. And we have to have that open line of communication with him because it's the only way that we actually receive the assistance that we need is when we actually ask God for it. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can have a peace, and it's a peace that will guard our hearts if we communicate with Him. There are so many things that bog us down in our life. Sometimes we have health issues. Sometimes there's death and families or we have a friend that passes away or there's personal struggles or even worse sometimes that we don't even get bogged down by the serious issues we just get bogged down in our daily lives we're running around so much and our schedules are so jam-packed and we get distracted and we use that as an excuse to not communicate and that is true for God and it's true for others but God is never far away from us. He's always available to listen, always willing to give us that peace. It's just whether we take advantage of the opportunity or not. So let's say that we do take the opportunities off and you say, oh, I got that down. I pray all the time. We keep that line of communication open, but how are we spending that time while we are communicating with him? Are we restricting what we let God see? Or do we open up to him? Do we let our cares be made known to him or our struggles or even our failures? Are we allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to the creator? Psalms 55 and verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love what these two passages are saying. God will sustain us, is what we hear in the first one. But isn't it the same thing in 1 John 1 and verse 9 as well? God is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins. There's always, well, say there's usually a condition to God's promises. We always are expected to do something in return for them. And the condition here is openness and it's honesty. 
being vulnerable is not what comes naturally to us, though, even with God. And that goes to our, our pride issue. We have to be willing to bring ourselves down, to accept that we need God, even if that means we have to be a little uncomfortable with him. And we do have the assurances we need to be able to accomplish that. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that ye have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All the groundwork has been done and it's been laid out so that we could have a more accessible way to salvation. It wasn't like in the old times where only God's chosen people, the Jews, could have access to God uh, through their methods. Um, but that everyone could have a way to follow God and everyone could have a way to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. And through the work that was done, Jesus came to understand us. How crazy is it that God, as an effort to make a way to the salvation accessible to everyone, sent Jesus to fulfill that plan, but also to understand his creation? If we think about it, that's probably one of the most powerful aspects of the plan of salvation and that he knew we needed someone to fight our case for us because he longed for his children to have a way. And if nothing else, that should embolden us to open up to God because why else would we need mercy but because we fell short of a standard, which is something we often do. That grace is offered to us when we open up because while God doesn't know or understand why we stumble, Jesus can. He intercedes on our behalf so we can obtain the mercy that is offered. Earlier when we talked... Uh, read in 2 Corinthians 12 it said that God's grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in our weakness and that's the message here too God's grace is sufficient for us and his strength is perfected in our weaknesses let's not forget that the next time that we fear being uncomfortable with our creator so let's draw that parallel with the relationship that we have with God and let's compare it to how we do the same thing in our relationships with other people just like how we need to start out by seeking out a relationship with God, we need to seek out relationship with others. Looking back to Acts 2, it says that they believed together and had all things in common. Secondly, all things they did were because they wanted to be around each other. They wanted to be in each other's presence, to strengthen each other, to fill their needs, to nurture their relationships, to help them grow. They had that desire, and that's something we need to have before our relationships can ever be what God intended them to be. Hebrews 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We first need to take advantage of our assemblies together. We need to take every opportunity to join together that we get. And what better time to seek out a relationship or to begin that process than when we are here together, fellowshipping We need to be meeting when those doors are open and we also need to be an encouraging presence to those around us. And thinking again back to Acts chapter 2, they were around each other constantly, in each other's home, eating together, taking advantage of all the opportunities that they had. And I will remind you, it was because they wanted to do that. They wanted to get to know each other and we have a responsibility when we try to, do, to build those relationships that we do it in a specific way. 
Ephesians 5 and verse 21, it says submitting to one another in the fear of God. When we start trying to develop these relationships, we have to put ourselves below others. Those we seek relationships with here are to be seen as better than us. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others we need to approach all people with humility we aren't trying to reinforce our greatness we're not trying to put people in all of our intelligence we're not trying to make them think wow we're so great because we can do this one thing really well because that's another problem in and of itself and that deserves a lot more time than we can give it but we need to esteem others. We need to build others up in our minds and in our hearts. We should never look at someone and think we are better than them. We should never look at anything that they've done and thought, if only I got to do it, I would have done such a better job than they did. Our pride has the potential to tear us apart if we're not being careful, if we're not watching. And in our humility that we're supposed to approach people with, we don't look out for only our interests, but we look out for the interests of others. And this can be a little bit more difficult. See, when we get to know God, we have the Bible to look at, which is basically a handbook that gives us all the information that we need about who God is. And it gives us information about all his traits and his characteristics and all that he's offered us. But we don't have handbooks for each and every one of us. The only way that we're going to get that same information is by spending time with the people that we want to have relationships with, seeking out opportunities, taking an interest in something other than our own lives. And being around them isn't just enough. Just like with our relationship with God, it needs communication. Ephesians 5:19 through 21, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. While we are together, we should be using that time wisely. We need to be talking about spiritual things as we've mentioned, speaking to one another, praying with one another, speaking in hymns and spiritual songs, And while it's probably true that over time, just by spending time with people and maybe getting to know their most basic interests and hobbies, we do build relationships up that way. But if that's where it ends, our relationships will be no stronger and they will be no deeper than our relationships that we have out in the world. Let's not allow ourselves to be so careless or so flippant with our relationships that we let that happen. Let's not get caught up in the same old conversation of how was your day or how was your week talking about our jobs, being around good people, and calling that good. There's more to it than that. It can't end there. Those things serve a purpose, but we have much more to offer to each other. So why aren't we taking advantage? Let's take that next step and open up to people. Another thing we need to be watchful of is don't let ourselves be fooled on the other hand that by spending a lot of time together and talking with each other about spiritual things, that that is being vulnerable because that's not the case. Just like in our relationship with God, we have a responsibility to open up to others. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. That's what it says in verse 13. And you know what I think of when I hear bearing with one another? I think of a younger sibling or a little cousin. Now, in my case, I was the youngest sibling, so obviously I'm thinking about myself. But I was a pest. I was always bothering my sisters. Any little inch that they gave me, I would just take advantage of it, and I would just annoy them to the bitter end. And they couldn't get away from me either. I was good. No matter what they did, I was always able to pester them somehow. Even when I was pretending to be sweet and nice to them, I was still pestering them. And that's probably a little extreme when we think about this passage. But do you not think that we have to put up with each other in some, some sense? Why is forgiveness mentioned right after it? if it's not the case. We aren't going to mesh at all times, but we have a responsibility to put up with each other sometimes, to forgive each other when the situation calls for it, but even more so to love each other because that's what strengthens our bond. It's that love coupled with the knowledge and understanding of God's word that we can strengthen one another in spiritual matters. We can teach, we can correct each other as it was intended for us to do. And I think this is probably the world's fault but we've adopted this um this mindset that we like for everybody to stay in their lane if it pertains to you you do your thing and i'll do mine and let's just leave it at that but that's not how the church works we do this all together james 5 verse 16 confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much And then Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. These two passages are two very important things to consider when we think about our relationships. Think about how we are vulnerable to God. We confess our faults to Him. We admit we need help, that we have a struggle, that we need His grace and we need His mercy. So how do we open up to others? Now they can't give us the mercy necessarily that God gives, but I believe the answer is similar. We have to open up to others. Maybe it's through asking for help. Maybe it's just sharing a struggle that we have. We cannot get by and have deep and personal relationships like we claim we want if we aren't willing to commit to an honest commit to be honest with each other. Confess your faults to one another, pray for one another. How in the world can we hope to be close, truly close if we can't take down the walls that we build up ourselves to to divide each other? The answer is because vulnerability is scary to us as humans. It's because vulnerability is exposure. If we make that decision to open up, we have nothing left to protect us. While I was studying this topic, I came across a quote from a social researcher about it, about vulnerability, and she broke it down into a pretty simple statement. Vulnerability is the act of showing up when you have no control of the outcome and allowing yourself to be seen. I want everybody to think about how, truth that, how true that statement is. No wonder it's terrifying to everybody. We open ourselves up, our wall is down, anything can happen. And there's not a thing that you can do about it when you let your wall down. And when we weigh that loss of control, what we like to do is weigh it out with 
this false sense of control that we can maintain if we choose to not be vulnerable. We don't have to be held accountable. We don't have to be put in uncomfortable situations. And we don't have to face the fear of being rejected or humiliated by others because they might be disappointed or ashamed in us. What if they don't understand me? What if my struggle is something that nobody else here has? We can come up with a lot of questions and a lot of what-ifs and situations to convince us to not open up, but remember, God's grace is sufficient for us. His strength is perfected in our weaknesses. And there are so many weaknesses that we all have. We could list them out. But regardless, if we stay grounded in God's truth, we can overcome those weaknesses. And that hope that we have can be lived out in our lives. And we can exemplify the verse that we read in 2 Corinthians 12. I think a lot of times what we like to do um, in our fellowship sometimes is to ask about who's favorite, who our favorite evangelists are. You always get so many different perspectives and lots of different answers and lots of different people come up, but a couple of people that seem to always come up on the people I talk to are J.R. Smith and Jimmy Hayes. Now, why would their, li- their name pop up so often? I would argue it's because of their honesty and their willingness to open up to sometimes complete strangers out, out in the audience. And we respect and we admire that as a whole. Now, we may not can relate specifically to their issues or to their lifestyles, or their specific struggles, but we admire that they overcame a very worldly lifestyle that was void of God's principles, but yet they found their way where they were supposed to be. And why do they choose to expose themselves like that? Why do they choose to let down their walls, basically come up defenseless and share their struggles? It's to reach people and it's to connect with people. It's something that people relate to in some way, whether their struggles are the same, whether they're totally different or seem relatively minor. Now, we say we admire that trait, that we respect that they're able to do that. But do we make any effort at all to emulate that trait that they have? And if we're not sharing, if we're not being open like they are, what's your, why not? If we think to Paul, he was persecuting and he was killing Christians before he became Christ's disciple. And when he was converted, that past didn't just disappear. You can think about to the first sermon he gave. There were people in the audience that said, isn't this the guy that's been killing all of us? But he continued to work for Christ, often admitting his mistakes, very willing to do so, acknowledging how awful his past was, and even calling himself the chief of sinners. And despite all of that, Let's think about the legacy that he leaves behind. He is one of the most well-respected disciples that we read of and that we talk about um, of Christ. He committed himself fully to those principles and he tried to make it work to his advantage. Don't let ourselves get caught up in the scary nature of being vulnerable because the fact of the matter is it is a necessity to cultivate the deep and meaningful relationships that we claim that we want. I can think about when I feel closest to someone and it's when they're being vulnerable to me, when they choose to open up about a struggle that they have. And sometimes, you know what it causes me to do is to open up right back. Do we not feel closer to the people that come up and request prayers? Do we not sympathize with them? Do we not empathize with them? A lot of those struggles are very common struggles. 
and yet we refuse to open up. But I hope that everybody does feel that sympathy, and I hope everyone does have a willingness to build on that sympathy to grow closer with one another. The last passage I'd like to read is Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. These needs that God's people have, and maybe even people outside of the church have, aren't always easy to see. Sometimes the people that need the most help are the ones that we look at and say, they've got it all together. But sometimes they're the most really walled up and closed off people in the whole congregation because they're not willing to open up to anything personal. Now we can only do so much in those instances from our end, but we need to strive to know the, the needs of others. We are told to bear each other's burdens and that means that their burden becomes ours. We need to open up about our lives and let our burdens be shared if that's what's needed. We get into this mindset sometimes where we say what we struggle with and we open up only a part of it. We open up about this little struggle but we keep this little aspect of it closed off from everybody else. But sometimes that part that they close off from everyone is the part they need help with the most. It's the one that that sometimes takes the heaviest toll on everybody. So open up. I want everyone, I want to encourage everyone to try to open up to someone that's outside your comfort zone. And it's not, remember, it's not about airing out dirty laundry. And it's not about letting everybody know your dirty little secrets. But it's about being honest and it's about being honest for the purpose to maybe reach someone. Maybe you're the person that needs to be reached and you really don't even know it. But we have to have honesty and we have to be willing to share with others. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's all I've prepared for this evening. We always like to offer the invitation. If you have a struggle in your life, if you need prayers, if you need to share something, if we can help you share a burden, let the church help you with that. Or if you feel like you've been taught sufficiently and you would like to be baptized for the remission of sins, please come forward as we stand and sing.